0: Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs. We just wrapped up our annual meeting down at Tantara, and one of the highlights of that meeting was our Sunday afternoon panel, Missourians Making a Difference. We had three guests join us who have done some significant work in the Trump administration in Washington, D.C. Ken Johnson joined us along with Richard Fordyce and Brian Klippenstein. We decided that we would share that uh, that session with you this week as our podcast episode. Our president Blake Hurst interviewed them during the panel and asked some questions. We got some questions from the audience as well, and uh, we think that there's some really good insight that they shared with us as to how Missourians really are influencing policy in Washington D.C. So let's get started.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to our 104th annual meeting. Uh, we're thrilled to see you here at our annual meeting, see you here at Tantera, and uh, thank you for taking time to join with, uh, uh, I think, a very special panel, and uh, what uh, what we're going to do is have, um, I'll introduce all three of them, and then we'll start off, I think, with Ken, and then go to Richard, and uh, let Brian uh, bring up the rear, and uh, have them talk a little bit about what they do in Washington, D.C., and then uh, we'll have plenty of time uh, for questions. And so let me uh, let me introduce our panelists. Richard Fordyce is no stranger to Farm Bureau, a fourth-generation farmer from Bethany, Missouri. He served as president of Harrison County Farm Bureau for like a lifetime, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Seventeen years. Seventeen years. He started when he was six. Um, Chair of the Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee for both the Missouri and the American Farm Bureau and of course in both positions he served on the Missouri Board and then the American Farm Bureau Board as well. He chaired our State Soil and Water Commission, served as Director of Missouri Department of Agriculture, the State FSA Director and is now uh, the USDA uh, USDA, uh, Agriculture Farm Service Agency Administrator and he served in that role since May of this year. In his new role he provides leadership for the Farm Service Agency and its mission to support agriculture production across America through a network of 2,100 county and 50 state offices. Ken Johnson joined the National Rural Telecommunications Council, NRTC, in November 2018, and serves as Senior Vice President Broadband Programs. In that role, Ken provides expertise to NRTC's rural electric and telephone members as they look to deploy utility backbone and residential broadband networks and applications all while advising members on broadband feasibility. Ken's first task will be to explain to you what I just read. All right. In addition, he'll leverage his experience to pursue funding opportunities that can accelerate the expansion of broadband in unserved areas. Finally, he'll explore partnerships that can enhance the success of rural broadband projects, including those that leverage members' deep experience in existing networks. Prior to joining NRTC, Ken served as Administrator for the Rural Utilities Service and Operating Unit of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Rural Development Agency. He was appointed to that role by President Trump in February of 2018. Before his government service, John, Mr. Johnson served as General Manager, CEO of Como Electric Cooperative, and President for Como Connect in Tipton, Missouri. He grew up on a farm near Edgar, Nebraska, and spent his life serving and working in rural America. And finally, Brian Klibenstein, no, uh, no stranger to Farm Bureau, um, is the senior advisor to the Secretary of Agriculture. He uh, led the USDA landing team for the transition of President-elect Trump. Prior to that, he was executive director for Protect the Harvest, a nonprofit advocating for affordable food options. He grew up in northwest Missouri on a 5,000-acre registered beef cattle farm. He's worked for ranches and shown cattle from Canada to Argentina. A graduate of George Washington University, Brian then went on to work for 26 years for Congressman Tom Coleman, U.S. Senator Roy Blunt, and U.S. Senator Kit Bond, serving five years as Senator Bond's chief of staff. Brian and his wife, Jackie, have two kids, live on a farm outside of Platte City. Brian, I'm sure he'll talk about this a little bit later, Brian is leaving the USDA on Friday and coming back to Missouri. Uh, so that's uh, wonderful news for, uh, for the state of Missouri and all his friends and family. So I ask him, and if it's all right with you, the uh, unofficial title of this uh, session will be Klippenstein Unbound, and uh, we'll <laughs> let uh, Brian be more frank maybe than, he, uh, than he's had the opportunity to be before. But we have a great uh, panel here, uh, broad experience and broad uh, influence on agricultural policy in our nation's capital. We're proud to have him here, and we'll uh, ask Ken to come up and say a few words, uh, then Richard, then Brian, and then we'll open it up for questions. So, Ken.
2: Thank you, Blake. Appreciate the opportunity to come and be with you today, and um, to just get things going a little bit, I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. I am a farm boy from Nebraska. Don't hold that against me, but... uh, Uh, It's been a while since Nebraska and Missouri played football, but uh, uh, anyway, hopefully uh, uh, they'll become as good as uh, Missouri has been the last few years. Uh, They've been working on their football game. But um, raised on a farm and spent 26 years in the utility industry uh, in Nebraska. And it was really about 25, 26 years ago that I, uh, as a CEO of a small public power district, that I could see the digital divide at that time even beginning to affect rural America. I could see that we were outsourcing our young people to the urban areas, most of them would go, uh, learn skill sets, and it was hard to get them to come back even 25 years ago because of technology, really. Many jobs need technology. Farming is no different. I've been here in Missouri about 14 years. When I got to Como Electric uh, in Tipton, I wasn't there too many months, and I would get a note and a bill from time to time, is there anything the electric co-op can do to help out with our internet problems? We have really poor internet. If you were to go to some community events, you would uh, no doubt come up with a conversation about how poor connectivity was in rural parts of our service territory, and Because of this need, we began to look at it as an electric co-op. That was something that had not really been done before. Uh, And about that same time as when some of the stimulus money came out uh, from the federal government. One of our neighboring co-ops submitted an application and they were successful in that round of financing. And they had funding to go ahead and build out Uh, fiber-to-the-home network. And it was really at that time, because we'd looked at wireless, we'd looked at uh, a lot of different technologies, and there really wasn't anything that would work uh, in central Missouri in the Lake of the Ozarks area. So we took it upon ourselves to work with our membership, and we built out this network without any federal or state funding, which has not been done. Uh, We were the first co-op in the nation to do that. So when you talk about what are we doing in Missouri to help uh, bring, broad de- br- bring broadband to rural Missourians, we've reached out to all of the other electric co-ops and we've tried to educate them and train them. We've had folks in from all over the Midwest to our co-op uh, here in Tipton to see uh, how we've done it and how it, how it uh, was constructed. And fortunately, I think there's about eight co-ops here in the state today that have active broadband projects underway. We also have telephone cooperatives and uh, telephone companies, and we are trying to partner and work with them wherever we can as well. So when we fast forward on to uh, where am I at today, Uh, I was appointed by President Trump uh, to the rural utilities administrator position, and uh, in that position, um, we were working with a, a budget item that Congress had approved for Broadband and that project hopefully will be rolling out soon after the first of the year. There's six hundred million dollars in a pilot and uh, they're beginning to work on getting that out the door to uh, Utilities who can take that and uh, build out some networks into the rural areas. So uh, with that six hundred million they're hoping to turn that into over a billion dollars worth of financing that can be made available to all co-ops telephone and electric across rural America. I just recently started a new job, and NRTC is another co-op. It was formed in 1985 by rural electric cooperatives and telephone cooperatives, and it was a technology company, um, and their goal was to bring important services to rural electric co-ops and telephone companies that weren't available anywhere else. And for many of you, if you had a direct TV subscription about 25 years ago in rural parts of Missouri or other parts of the, the nation, chances are your direct TV was brought to you through a subsidiary or another member of direct of, uh, Direc- of uh, NRTC today uh, NRTC provides uh, wireless broadband they provide um, back office support for rural electric co-ops. Many of them are too small, could not afford to have back office 24-7 services available to them. They provide a lot of technical assistance. They they uh, provide analysis uh, and business modeling for electric and telephone cooperatives. And so in this new role, I'm really excited about the opportunity to work with uh, the electric cooperatives. I spent almost four decades uh, of my career working with uh, the electric industry, and uh, I'm very excited about the opportunity to continue to work with them and help them make important business uh, decisions uh, about how to better connect rural America. Smart grid is one thing that uh, is is kind of a buzzword, but the electric grid really hasn't changed all that much in the last uh, maybe 70 or 80 years. Electricity is pretty constant, the way you deal with it, and handle it, but smart grid, and that's uh, really high-speed communications so that you can talk to these devices. The devices out in the field today are getting much smarter than they were uh, you know, 50 years ago, and so with a smart grid uh, system or network put together, you can communicate with these devices, and it, it improves the electrical service that that members would receive. And you can also then leverage that network to help bring broadband to uh, rural members in in rural America. So uh, there's a real synergy about the technologies that are converging today, the telecommunications and the electrical industry. And uh, I'm very excited to be in the position where I'm at today where I can help these cooperatives understand how they can best implement uh, business models that will be successful. One thing that uh, NRTC did about a year ago is they bought a consulting firm called Pulse Broadband, and uh, they are providing business modeling, design and build uh, specifications, and they will provide a turnkey solution to any co-op that is interested in uh, developing uh, broadband for their members. And so it's with that Pulse Broadband unit that I'll be spending most of my time. So with that, I think I'll kind of uh, finish up. That's really kind of what was in all of that uh, introduction that uh, uh, was read before. So thank you very much, and I look forward to your questions.
0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. You know, uh, when this was on, uh, on the agenda, I thought it was 2.30 and not 3.30, and I thought, well, we'll only miss about a half an hour of the Chiefs game. Um, <laughs> 10 to nothing. Oh, Blake says they're ahead 10 to nothing, <coughs> which is good. Uh, I know I talked to several of you um, earlier uh, before the session, and uh, you said it was a tough decision whether to come in and listen to us or go somewhere and watch the Chiefs. We're shorter running back now, so um, I thought this game might be might be kind of interesting. But um, well, it is really it's really good to be here. Um, As Blake said, I've I've spent uh, spent a lot of uh, first of December's at Farm Bureau annual meetings, and it's good to see a lot of old friends. And I, as I was uh, down in the trade show, the hospitality. Area I saw a lot of folks that, you know, we've, we've known each other for a long time and we definitely do not look like we did um, when we first met. Um, and you know, you know, you ought to know who that is, but um, that's why these name tags are really handy in um, the prints, in the prints large. <clears throat> well, when Dan reached out to ask if, uh, if I could be a part of this and he said maybe offer some perspective on the transition to Washington, uh, maybe what the job entails and and maybe just talk about some things that are happening with the Farm Service Agency and and, uh, uh, very, very happy that that the the invitation was extended and really happy to be here. Um, and, And so I thought maybe, I you know, I know a lot of you, I'm looking out and I know a lot of you have spent some time in Washington in various roles and um, and so you're you're familiar, I think, a little bit with the town. Um, certainly, you've all been there, and it's interesting to it's interesting to live there. And I, and I, you know, I've had friends. I mean, when, <clears throat> when Brian was out there talking to him about you know how you live and how you get around and how you do things, and I thought, man, live, I sure am glad I'm in Missouri. Well, now I'm out there, and. uh so Renee and my daughter Emma found an apartment <coughs> for me in Alexandria. Uh, it's 600 square feet, and it costs $2,000 a month. Um, I don't have a car out there. I take, uh, I take public transit, which is good because there's no place to park anyway um, if you did happen to drive into the district. Um, so 600 square feet is, um, I know some of you have got fifth wheels with slide outs, It's about the same Um, and so it's one bedroom one bath and I told Renee um, you know it's I said we'll just pretend like we're at the State Fair Um, because it uh, it it is different Um, certainly I love I mean I obviously you have to love love the town Um, maybe not maybe not some of the things that happen in the town um, but it is it is a it's an exciting place to be for sure um and so i I get on the uh, get on the yellow line and then take the yellow line to LaFont and get off and take the blue line over to Smithsonian uh, If you go out the correct exit in that metro stop, uh the escalator takes you right to the corner of the building. <clears throat> it only took about a week to figure out the correct um side to go out it's It really will save a lot of steps if you go out the right one um <clears throat> but um when you, so when you're on the yellow line and you, you go past the airport, the bridge is above the, above the Potomac, so you're above ground, and right before you go back in ground, the Jefferson Memorial <clears throat> is literally right beside you. Obviously, the Washington Monument, I can see out of my office window, and I, I say to myself every morning when I go in, when I get tired of seeing that, that's when I'm coming home, because that is, that's our nation's capital, and uh, if you get to see those things every morning on your way in, um, that's pretty cool. I, I still, that is still not getting, has, that still hasn't gotten old, I can tell you. Um, you know, we've got, we've got some great leadership here in Missouri uh, from the Farm Service Agency's perspective. Uh, new State Executive Director, Brent Hampi, I know you all know Brent. Uh, he's been on board I think a month or a little over a month Uh, Our public affairs specialist here in Missouri is Jessica Claypool. She's right down here, and she's amazing. And I would urge you um, to get to know her. She's been in this role about a year. Um, And so uh, lots of things happening in the Farm Service Agency, and our public affairs outreach uh, piece of that is is how that word gets out. And certainly, um, I know we've got some members of the media in the room, uh, they're a key piece to that as well. Um, our state committee uh, here in Missouri is 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 really well populated with Farm Bureau leadership. Uh, Blake's wife Julie is the chair, uh, and she is she on her way to Washington. Oh. Um, uh, Mark Allison, Will Spargo, Barb Wilson, and Cindy Schrader. And I know I know Will's here. I know Mark's here because uh, I've already I've already seen them. Um, so great leadership uh, exhibited by, I know, the state committee here in Missouri uh, that, do, that do a really important job for the agency and for agriculture um, here in the state. You know, one of the things, I guess, a, a, an observation, and, and Brian can certainly attest to this, we, we see each other in the hallway a lot. Um, I'm a little disappointed we're not gonna see him in the hallway anymore, but, uh, but I know he's, he's happy to be, getting, to be headed back home. Um, is that most of the appointees at USDA, or at least the ones that I deal with, are all farmers. I don't know, it's been a long time, I think, since we've had a bunch of farmers at USDA uh, talking about policies and things that are really important. They're really important to agriculture across the country, and I know, especially here in Missouri, and I think the things that we offer from a farm service agency standpoint, and you know the safety net programs, the disaster programs, ad hoc disaster programs, the farm loan programs are critically important any time. But I think probably more so, maybe more so now than ever before. <clears throat> um, the president, uh, the president said a few months ago that. Uh, USDA, we want you to stand up a program to, to help farmers that are exposed in the marketplace from retaliatory tariffs placed on us by our trading partners. And we literally, we literally put a program together that didn't exist, did not have congressional guidance, um, and rolled out a program that is going to be valued at around $12 billion uh, in about four weeks. Uh, we wanted to make sure that it was that it was impactful and it was meaningful to producers. We wanted to make sure that our staff um, across the country could administer it, not be terribly cumbersome because, as you know, we do have some programs that are pretty cumbersome um, and complicated. Uh, the market facilitation program is not that way, uh, and we're going to put some real dollars in farmers' pockets um, with that program. Now, certainly... You know, we want trade, not aid. But as we're working our way through this negotiation, as we're working, uh, allowing the administration to come to a place where we have better agreements, this certainly is going to be a help. Um, It's, uh, you know, I sometimes wonder, I sometimes wonder how I got there. Um, but you take little steps along, and and I know when I was the Ag Director, and I know Director Chin would say this as well, and and so that's why I'm so happy to see some Collegiate Farm Bureau uh, members in the room, is that you have to continue to challenge yourself. Um, When I was asked to be the Ag Director, I, I wasn't qualified to do that, I didn't think, but you've got to continue to challenge yourself, and, and I know we do, we do every day, and, and if you think about people in agriculture, we're probably, we're probably the best known for it as any sector um, in our society, is that we continue to challenge ourselves. We continue to do things that we're not really sure we can do, but we figure out a way to get it done. And that's why, that's why this industry is the most amazing industry uh, that anyone could be associated with. So we're doing our best. Um, there are some really smart people that are there right now that when there are deliberations, conversations, sometimes arguments about what ought to be done, um, there are some really good answers that come out of those discussions. So I'm, just, I'm glad to be a part, just a tiny little part of what's going on in Washington. Um, and to be affiliated and associated with the Farm Service Agency, almost 11,000 people across the country that work on behalf of agriculture, uh, and you couldn't ask for you couldn't ask for a better group of folks. So, um, look forward to questions. Um, you know, if they're too technical, I'll have Jessica help me answer them. Um, but it's good to be here. Thank you.
3: Good afternoon, still 10 to zero. Richard, uh, years ago, I uh, and Ken, uh, perhaps you noticed the same thing, or perhaps in your modesty you haven't, but there was a member of Congress and uh, his spouse, uh, brand new to politics, brand new to Washington, went to Washington, eyes this big, as you might imagine, and they reported some time later when they got there, they spent the first six months saying, how in the heck did I get here? How did we get here? Then, after getting to know everyone in Washington, their second question was, how the hell did all these people get here? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a little bit of uh, that too. I feel uh, very proud as a Missourian, you know, we have a pretty solid uh, core of folks there. Uh, Ken and I are, uh, are in and out. We've got Richard there, Joe traverti from uh, Hartzer's office uh, is getting settled in. Brooke Appleton from my county, uh, adjacent county, is the deputy uh, 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 for the uh, is is the chief of staff for the deputy secretary of agriculture, and and she's been uh, she's been terrific. But I feel uh, like I spent a great deal of time early in the transition and early at USDA trying to talk all these good folks into coming so I could go home. Uh, it's uh, 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 perhaps like the uh, uh, the state fair for me. <laughs> I I went. And now I'm uh, I'm closing up and uh, and going. I uh, this is a a good crowd. I, I've, the, the tolerance that people have for anything uh, remotely political always amazes me. Uh, uh, having come off a tough campaign where you guys uh, could hardly stand probably to watch the TV by uh, early October, uh, I was reminded by the way. Uh, uh, Whenever these election season comes up, it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite stories, and it's an old one, but uh, uh, Blake is a student of uh, William, the late William F. Buckley, and he told this story about for early in when TV was part of these election campaigns. And there was this uh, public works project, Ken, long before broadband was thought of, called the Tennessee Valley Authority. It originated back in the LBJ Great Depression, Get Jobs to Folks. So it was the Tennessee Valley Authority, uh, T.V.A., and this is the '64 election. Goldwater was running for president. He was a budget cutter. He wanted to crack down on all this federal spending, and one of the uh, one of the programs he wanted to eliminate was the T- Tennessee Valley Authority, the T.V.A. So T.V. Uh, uh, the T.V. station went out, and one of these person in the streets, and he uh, found some uh, some uh, uh, local uh, uh, leader, and he said. Uh, who are you supporting in this campaign? Well, I'm not supporting that Goldwater. I said, uh, well, why aren't you supporting Goldwater? And she says, well, he wants to take away my TV. And the reporter back then, you know, the national reporters could do this. They would uh, friendly say, well, actually, I think it's the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority. And the uh, voter in the street paused for a second. She says, well, I'm not taking any chances. <laughs> But you know, on a personal note, some of my uh, uh, personal reflections uh, marry up perfectly with the theme of uh, Missouri Farm Bureau um, theme for this annual meeting, and that is uh, gratitude. I I think about uh, the uh, resume that uh, that uh, the bio that Blake had read, and I think about how. Little I probably earned to be at any of these uh, extraordinary uh, junks, junctions of life. I fell bottom first into uh, all these terrific opportunities. And I mean, think of it as, as I do. I'm Brian Klippenstein, and the people I have worked for in my life start with Linda and Glenn Klippenstein. And then they go to Kit Bond and Roy Blunt and Forrest Lucas and and now uh, doctor, captain, secretary, Sonny Perdue. Just these extraordinary uh, uh, people who who all have spent their life doing work on behalf of what continues for me to be the most impressive group of people that America has to offer, and that's those of you who take care of all the land, take care of all the animals, and you feed all of us to excess and have enough left over uh, to share your abundance with the world. It's not a small thing. I, one of the great pleasures I had years ago was to meet the late Dr. Norman Borlaug. And when I met him, uh, one of the notes, that one of the observations he had was, you know, I've traveled the world. And he said, people in the United States and Europe, he said, those are places where uh, people have a lot of problems. Well-fed people, but they have a lot of problems. He said, I spent most of my work in Africa and Asia working with hungry people. He says, hungry people, when they're, if, if someone's hungry, they just have one problem. And you're the best friend they have. And thank you. So, you know, my gratitude is to my life's experience and the extraordinary people I've been able to work with and the leadership of your organization, people like Blake, who speaks better about agriculture than, uh, than, than, the, than anybody. Uh, he's the best writer there is. He sits down, he reads these horrendously awful books that these uh, bedwetting uh, folks uh, uh, write who've never spent a day on the farm, and he uh, critiques them in uh, in positive ways. But uh, I would like to uh, uh, add my voice to the gratitude for those of us the privilege of growing up in agriculture, working with you, working for you, working under you. So. Uh, I, I leave uh, with nothing but uh, uh, gratitude. Uh, what I single out, I think, particularly the leaders that I'd mentioned that I'd been able to work for, there's so many people in Washington, and uh, a number of them uh, are people we disagree with, smart people, organized people, well-intentioned people. Uh, but what makes uh, people like a Forrest Lucas or a Sonny Perdue or a Glenn Klippenstein or Kip Bond or Roy Blunt unique is that is the courage that it takes to push these things. And I'll uh, I'll give you the context of why I'm mentioning this in a moment. Um, But it's... Washington, as as, uh, Richard had mentioned, is full of so many impressive people. But there are plenty of times where you'd have to send a search party out to find at least a handful of vertebrates. Uh, they're people who probably know the right thing to do. They may have the right strategy and the, and the right friends. They can sw- see the swimming pool. They may approach the swimming pool. They may put their toe in it, but they're not going to jump in. Not many do. I uh, may have told this story before, but it's just a, a short one about uh, Secretary Purdue, whom I didn't know much when he came to, to office, but when he Arrived on day one, you had all the ceremony. you met with the president. It was a terrific day, which ended poorly because he learned Secretary Purdue learned that uh, the White House had intended to pull out a NAFTA the next day. Big deal, huge deal. Secretary Purdue comes back, and there were just a handful of us. And he said, "This is one of these stories I'm probably not supposed to tell for five days." But, but he said, uh, "Well, we can't have that. Let's talk about what we should do." Well, first thing the time, uh, the trade leader was Wilbur Ross, Secretary of Commerce. He said, why don't you call him, check in. You know him. Yep, good idea. I'll call him see what the lay of the land is. He called Wilbur Ross, friend of the president. uh, Been with the president for decades. And uh, Wilbur essentially said, I couldn't get it done. You try. Well, the campaign had campaigned on this for some time. And the cake was already baked, but Purdue says, well, we better have a meeting with the president. Get me a meeting. We call the chief of staff at the time. The chief of staff says, no, no meeting. We're full. The cake is baked. You're not going to change his mind on this. We're going forward. OK, so then Secretary Purdue comes to us, small group, and people, experts in the trade office from the career side. And, and he says, I want to talk about what I'm going to tell the president tomorrow. We said, well, you don't have a meeting with him. He says, I know I don't have a meeting with him, but I'm going to go over there. I think he'll let me in. Credit to the president. The president of the United States let him in and heard him out and changed his mind. And Secretary Perdue could have said any one of uh, a number of things that you hear all the time in Washington. Oh, the decision's already made. Oh, I don't want to make any waves on day two. Oh, if Wilbur Ross couldn't do it, what makes me think I can? Or, well, I tried to get a meeting, but they wouldn't let me in. Any of those things work in Washington, right? You've heard this kind of... uh, Statements, but he goes over and has an impact, and he's had the uh, respect of the president ever since. Why is all that important? Uh, that kind of courage is important because we operate in a town where 96% of the voters voted against the president of the United States. It was a friendly place personally, politically, it is acidic. Now, there isn't a thing he can do or his people do that doesn't meet. Uh, that doesn't meet resistance. Now we're going into a new era where we'll have a divided government. Uh, as we approach a new presidential election, you thought you'd get a breather from the election. Sorry, the primary is already underway for the, uh, for the 2020 presidential election. We won't get a breather of that, breather for that. But, but the resistance to change is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, one of the ideas that I'm particularly proud of the secretary's per, uh, pursuing, And he looks at it like a level-headed professional should. He says, we've got these agencies out there. It costs a lot of money to live there. Richard talked about it. Uh, It's cumbersome. It's expensive to operate. It's expensive to live. And it's harder and harder to get good rural-based talent to Washington. So the secretary says, let's look at shipping some of these agencies out into the heartland where they can be closer to their customers, where you can be closer to the land-grant universities, where you can work with people like... Abner Womack, and he can send his uh, good students uh, to work at the uh, uh, Economic Research Service or, the, uh, or the, uh, 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 the Research House outfit at NIFA. Uh, now, I'm a little more po- political about it. I say, look, I don't know if you can drain the swamp, but you can, you can leave the swamp. And I think we ought to do that with a great number of agencies, but the is pushing forward with that perfectly sensible idea. The resistance is furious. We get resistance from members of Congress, and I'm just befuddled by it. How any member of Congress could go back to their district saying, yeah, I uh, oppose the idea of moving from Washington to our district because I think the intelligent people are in Washington. Heaven forbid they come out to our district uh, where the people aren't qualified to carry these jobs and run the nation's business. So uh, that's one of those, for me, uh, God bless uh, Sonny Sonny Perdue. His, His motto from the beginning which I think is as good a one as I could ever imagine is do right, and feed everyone. Uh, incorporated under that is just about everything that we need to do. Uh, we've got, uh, it has taken us two years to get to half staff. Uh, I want to reiterate what Richard said. His immediate boss uh, knows how to fix a combine, undersecretary the Undersecretary of Marketing Regulatory, seventh generation rancher. Typically, when you find people for these jobs, you have to decide which way you want to go. Do you want a policy wonk who understands programs and the bureaucracy, or do you want a real producer uh, who understands how hard it is to make a living and the challenges you all face every day? Uh, We have succeeded in large degree at finding both. Richard's uh, one of them. We're very proud to have him. He was hired at the state level. He was immediately recognized, and I had nothing to do with this. He was recognized through his own merit by the people in the leadership and promoted up to run the whole uh, operation uh, um, in Washington. But he's been working on reorganization issues, uh, 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 huge disaster programs. If I could be selfish for a second, and I'm a preacher of Congress, and I have uh, never any disrespect for Congress. The first uh, Article One role is, is critically important, but... Uh, in part because there are so many of them, they spend five years doing a farm bill and it comes up late. Uh, Richard did, uh, they took five years and they're not done yet. Richard and his team did one, uh, as he said, in, uh, in four weeks. Uh, the deregulation effort uh, is, uh, is still very much underway. Trade and immigration are the big issues uh, uh, that they are. Uh, biotech is finally getting the attention and, uh, and it deserves... Uh, uh, to support the promise of new technology, and, and uh, Ken mentioned uh, uh, broadband, water infrastructure. Uh, I'll I'll say you know so many of these programs don't just touch farmers; they touch uh, all of rural America and rural communities. Um, but I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago where an outsider said, "You know, we love love what Secretary Purdue is doing, but his messaging's off. Why is that?" He said, "He only talks about farmers and ranchers." He doesn't talk about rural America enough. There's a certain part of me that was very uh, proud to hear that uh, that kind of uh, that kind of criticism. We had uh, seven months of my life I'll never get back arguing with the Food and Drug Administration, who is uh, 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 about uh, how to regulate cell-based meat. Have you all heard of this cell-based meat, fake meat? You go get cells, you put it in a vat like a beer cooler, and it comes out with some. Uh, product uh, that is uh, supposed to make uh, you all, I I gather, uh, obsolete. We wanted to make sure that the new product, if there is one, is safe and make sure that they have parity uh, and not a leg up on our uh, traditional ranchers. And believe it or not, we had to fight internally for seven months to get it done. Uh, One of the uh, proposals from the Trump White House is to have a single food agency, and having been there, I can't tell you how important it is that we uh, eventually bring the agricultural jurisdiction that's currently at the Food and Drug Administration to the United States Department of Agriculture. They simply don't know agriculture. They don't know you, and I'm convinced a few of them uh, don't care. Uh, But this is, there's other examples, labeling. We still have almond milk. Where's Drenin? Almond milk, uh, almond is not a lactating uh, uh, secretion, but it's still allowed to be uh, called almond milk. There are edgy burgers that are still advertised as real meat, real meat, and the Food and Drug Administration does little or nothing about it, and the Food and Drug Administration is still sitting on the same regulatory burdens on uh, biotech that we inherited from the Obama Administration. So there's a lot of work to do. There are some good people there, but uh, it would be better done under a single food agency and, uh, and at the United States Department of Agriculture. Uh, two other things before I finish, uh, just on, on issues. Uh, the other person we have from Missouri that we're really proud of is R.D. James over at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Finally, we've got a guy who understands the, the economic development value and the value to agriculture and industry and jobs of the Corps of Engineers. And we have a president who has said with his own volition time and again, there is, yes, there is a connection efficiency and transportation and our international competitiveness and agriculture is uh, number one in realizing uh, those particular benefits. And the last thing I'll say is the Department of Agriculture has over 30,000 employees in the United States Forest Service. 193 million acres and boy you talk about an aircraft carrier that takes a long time to turn around. We haven't managed our forest literally in decades. And if you turn on the news, you'll see what has become of that. The forests are not managed. They're not healthy. Uh, We initially thought, wow, we're just losing jobs that could be ours. Then we realized we're losing the health of the forest, which is bad for the forest. Uh, And now we're starting to realize that the costs are human. And people are dying because we can't manage our forests properly. We're going to have to get beyond the day where we have to ask, a couple of public interest groups permission to manage the forests. Uh, Secretary Perdue comes from a state uh, where almost all the forestry is private. Compare that to the public forestry in the northwest, and what else really do you need to ask? Look at the health of the forest. So I'll say to you, number one, uh, the two things in closing. I'll reiterate gratitude. I'm not, I couldn't be happier about the theme of your, uh, of your event. Number two, uh, we still have a window. Do not lose your nerve. A lot has been done. Far more needs to be done. So continue to work through this important organization and your leadership and the people who are still working in uh, in agriculture uh, because we've got so many great opportunities and uh, uh, I am uh, so happy to have been a part of it. I'll continue in one way or another to be a part of it but I will always want to be associated with you. Thank you.
1: So there's a lot to uh, chew on, a lot of information, a lot of topics covered in 30 minutes. Every one of these guys made a special trip back here to be with you this afternoon. I think uh, if they're not getting on a plane tonight to go back to Washington, they will tomorrow. Uh, They rearranged their schedule. They worked very hard to be here. And uh, give them another round of applause for being here. Thank you. All right. We've got some, uh, we've got some microphones. If you'll come to the microphone uh, to ask your question. And uh, we'll, uh, if you have a question for an individual member of the panel, then please let them know. Uh, if it's just to the panel, that's fine as well. But please, uh, please ask some questions. We've uh, got a tremendous amount of expertise and experience here. Why would the consuming public accept fake
2: meat when they won't accept the GMO?
0: I'm,
3: uh, i just digress for a second. And I'm, I'm sure I'm hijacking one of Blake's observations over the years when he talks about the great people in agriculture and all that you uh, do. Uh, our, our enduring criticism of uh, those in agriculture is that you're not very good at self-promotion. And I think you're, uh, you suffer from a certain amount of modesty. I look in the front row and don't see any, uh, see any uh, uh, one, uh, one sturdy guy. Uh, so, I think that's uh, more evidence about the modesty of, of, uh, of, of your group. But uh, don't be that way in the public arena, please. Uh, it, it, interesting question, look, if, in terms of food policy, I think our best answer, his uh, uh, choice. Uh, I'm going to try it once just to see what it tastes like, and I'm sure I'll never try it again. Uh, we had some public hearings, and it was interesting because we wanted to see how those same people at the public hearing who badmouth uh, modern technology and modern practices in agriculture, good grief, this, is, this is, has to be as unnatural as anything we've ever heard of. For the older people in here, what is it? What do they call it? Star Trek, the little machine. You push a few buttons, and some food wedge comes out, <laughs> and you. And that's what we're looking at. I, I had hoped to uh, be gone before this uh, innovation uh, occurred, uh, but 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 gone. I mean, from this earth. Um, uh, but here it is. So we're going to have to compete uh, for it. At this public hearing, uh, you'll be perhaps pleased to know these consumer groups who often sell, uh, and this is what they do, they sell fear for a living, uh, biotech. They, they have jobs and they make income by scaring people about the food that you all produce and the technology you use. Uh, they were consistent. They badmouthed the heck out of this technology. Very interesting. But, you know, it's going to be a, lead, a wedge for a number of the folks who do not support animal agriculture. Uh, in the uh, activist uh, a- arena, and they're gonna, you're gonna be confronted with this. Their marketing program is gonna be very simple: eat this other product because it will end animal suffering, save the planet, and there'll be fewer less coronary heart disease. There'll be people eat it for those reasons, despite the fact that it's not natural, it's not organic. I'm looking forward to one of Blake's columns on this. Uh, it's gonna be uh, terrific.
1: Excellent question. Oh, Clip. I missed
3: it. <laughs> Sorry,
1: for it. Clip. But we got We'll go back here, okay. Dave, and then you're next. All right. I want to thank you for your years of service and everything you've done for all of us in agriculture, and you've been a tremendous leader and a tremendous partner. My question is how do we move society to realize how important? Higher education is, and how the land grant system and the regional universities have been key to get us to the point we're at, and the work by Farm Bureau and others to address the drain we've had in dollars that are invested in that industry and in support of that industry to move that segment of, of USDA forward. We're investing the dollars like we do in NSF and NIH in food, where if we're going to double-pop food. Production in the next 30 years.
3: Thank you, uh, Baker. Uh, say two things. You know, we've had these discussions before. Blake's written about them. I probably didn't read it. but uh, I missed the fake meat. Okay, sorry. Um, China now spends more, has more public investment on research in agriculture than the United States does. It's a real dilemma. and It's a dilemma for the farm groups and for the members of Congress. You know, at the end of the day, I've told people, funding for research and uh, and new technology. You know, where are we going to go? We have to make twice as much food in 40 years as we do now. Or another way to put it, that the secretary does, you all have to produce as much food in in the next 50 years as in in, is in the history of mankind. And, oh, by the way, you also, uh, we don't want you using any more land. We want you to have a smaller carbon uh, uh, footprint. Um, and then you get these uh, uh, nitwits who come along and say, we'd also like you to do it without technology. Well, that's the uh, thats the showstopper. So we're going to have to have that investment uh, uh, to do it, but, you know, the dilemma that members of Congress and others have, and this is something you all have to continue to struggle with, when people go to the Hill in a farm bill or an appropriations bill and say, all right, we support research. Okay, there's only so much money. Do you want to, uh, it to come out of a farm program or a rural development program? I'm, I'm trying to make, give Blake a pain here. Uh, or do you want it in research? Well, we want it in research, but probably later, not today. So, Research is always everyone's unanimous silver medal winner. Um, Fortunately, the private sector investment uh, is big. But, you know, how you get to the consumers on this, we have talked uh, for two years now to technology providers about this, and that is, we can raise a lot of money. You guys can do what you do. Farm Bureau does it better than anyone else, going out talking to urban people and saying, look, this is your, your benefit in a secure food system is as follows these are the tools we need and this is how we operate and it will make an impact and you do make an impact but our argument to these tech providers the last couple of years particularly with these new technologies it are can you please if it's scientifically feasible put products on the market that are traits that directly appeal to consumers if they come out with this new technology on gene editing and the first 10 products are uh, chemi- chemical-tolerant soybeans, then everyone's going to say, ah, that's GMOs uh, all over. If it's a low-allergen peanut, that's a different story for the, for the, uh, for the suburban moms. Um, the, the, market, the product selection of the new technologies are going to have a lot to do with how well they're, uh, how well they're received. Uh, the last thing, and this is just Brian's editorial, but I still think we get far too spun up in degree by this urban movement against agriculture. Uh, I would I contend that 90% of Americans endorse and embrace the food choices that they have, 40,000 supermarkets, 40,000 ju- choices. They can get what they want. Um, the, there are opinion makers. They tend to be uh, in uh, influential circles. They tend to be very high r- income and urban, make a lot of fuss about technology and agriculture. But in in my reasonably uh, high income county in Missouri, you could spend three days there waiting for someone, Chris, to come in and say, I'm looking for a, a pork chop without that doesn't come from a, a hog from uh, from pork from a hog that was housed temporarily in a gestation stall and fed a GMO. They're just not out there. Cheerios did a big deal. They were GM for a long time. Then suddenly they announced to the public, we're going GM free. You know what happened to their sales? Nothing. And there's a guy at the University of Missouri who's tracked these things. Not only is that the case in Missouri, I mean in uh, in America, but it's been the case in Europe. So we need to stick to our guns. And provide them what they really want, which is a safe product, affordable choices that taste good and are nutritious. And let uh, and not get spun up over an axle over the fact that Abe Poland wrote another book from uh, New York about how Blake doesn't raise his soybeans. With. As we've seen the rise in trade war between China and the United States, um, what really stops China from looking at more other countries like uh, South America and other producers around the world to find more products uh, there other than the United States um, based upon price? That's the hard one. Richard will do that one.
0: <laughs> Is this on? I'm going to do it from right here that that's a good question um and I will tell you that that is um that is certainly uh uh a topic of conversation almost every day uh someone in the hallway during a meeting is you know wh- where's this where where are we where are we headed long term and i I can offer perspective um from the soybean industry i was a part of the soybean checkoff for about twenty five years Here in Missouri and on the United Soybean Board and served on the United States Soybean Export Council board for four years. And and know the history of the relationship building that has taken place for 50 years with China and the U.S. as it relates to soybeans. There is still still a relationship between the U.S. and China from from importers, uh, importers in China, exporters in the U.S., uh, from a quality standpoint, from um, uh, from a standpoint of we abide by trade agreements. Uh, but there are just situations that China has not. Um, dozens and dozens of situations where, and it, and it depends, um, you know, it'll depend on how large the crop is. Um, you know, if we've got a really large crop, South America has a large crop, they're a little more picky and finicky and aren't, following agreements like they should. There's an organization called the WTO. We will, uh, we will make complaints to the WTO that have, I know there are some that have been there nine years and haven't been resolved. Is China looking for other markets? Absolutely. You know, they are, um, uh, as the Chinese economy uh, improves, What's the first thing a society does? Is it moves away from back to the cell-based meat? Um, they move away from uh, from plant protein to meat protein, and so there is an incredible appetite in China for for soy, um, for poultry rations, pork rations, um, and so are they are they looking at other countries to fill that void? Absolutely, they are. But I believe uh... i believe that there is just an opportunity from again i think that fifty year relationship is important and and hopefully hopefully if we can get to a resolution which um, the president's had a conversation yesterday um, we were talking downstairs it's going to be interesting to see what the market does in the morning um, i bet it's up i don't know um, but i do think that um, uh... I mean I do think it's something we have to be we have to be cautious about and certainly certainly keep an eye on and um, it does offer us I think um, uh, it offers us as a as a country some incentive to look at other markets you know that's not that's not it's not that that has not been happening um, certainly uh, what you look at the trade organizations um, uh, they're not. They haven't hung their hat, maybe as much as what's been portrayed on on a on a Chinese market, um, because there they, there has been uh, market exploration and um, uh, opportunities for uh, you know building demand in other countries. And this this offers a little bit of an additional incentive. So um, we we need to get to we need to get to an agreement. And I think I mean I think the president absolutely. Um, came out on the winning side on NAFTA 2.0. We were all a little concerned about that. If you look around the state of Missouri and, and all of the shuttle loader facilities that, are, uh, that have been built, um, you know here in Missouri, the last 12, year, 10 or 12 years, all those tracks run south, and we needed, uh, we needed to, to get a new agreement on NAFTA, and, and they were able to do that. I'm confident they'll be able to figure out a way to do something with China because while we are certainly we're feeling the brunt of it uh, As agricultural producers here in the US Chinese buyers are feeling the brunt of it as well, so it's not um, It's not it's not a one-way It's not a one-way deal so I think just stay tuned, and I'm sure the I'm sure the really smart guy to my right will probably have a response to that as well.
3: Well, yeah, just a, a couple uh, additional observations. I I know one uh, probably speaks better about uh, the merits of a system of free trade than than your president over here. It makes me feel guilty working with the Trump administration uh, routinely, but m- my. Bigger fear at the beginning was was with Mexico, because we had so very little to gain. Uh, with, we have a great deal to gain. And unlike Mexico, who shoots reasonably straight with us on agriculture, not other things, and that's what the president was trying to get after, China is just universally bad on this stuff. You know, my pedigree is beef. We had one sick dairy cow with BSE that was imported in 2003, just before Christmas, didn't make it in the food chain, and it wasn't until last year, which is what's the math, Uh years later, that China agreed to bring beef into uh, mainland China. Just know that's just happy horse uh, manure, the, the, the whole deal. And it's the same on the tech products. And they jerk us around on soybeans before this happened, um, uh, and on uh, traits and biotech and phony things up, and they delay and play uh, us against, off against each other. At the end of the day, they're going to buy our stuff because they need it, and because you still make the best stuff in the world, you're the most reliable producer for them. And I don't—I'm sorry—I can't remember the figures. I was surprised we had a end of the fiscal year. Uh, brief on trade, and I'm not the trade guy. You'll be happy to know, but um, uh, you know we're up near a record in in trade exports, you know, where Brazil's coming in, filling in some of the uh, some of the beans uh, with China. Of course, uh, we're finding uh, odd markets that I'd never heard of before that Brazil was uh, had previously been working. Uh, I was with uh, our ambassador Greg Dowd, another ag guy, who's our ag trade ambassador. Uh, at USTR, and he has done nothing uh, uh, on a daily basis more since he got there was try to argue that what we really need to do is get this deal with China started uh, underway and then completed because that's where some more, some, some of the other uh, big markets are, and that's where we can also use leverage with an agreement against uh, uh, against China. But look, I think the president is absolutely uh, sincere about how unfair this is we send a they send a billion more dollars of stuff here a day than we send to them and that doesn't in and of itself mean that it's unfair but those who study it know that it's unfair in most manufacturing and uh, certainly it is in ag so we appreciate what the president's trying to do on that every president says they're going to do something about it he's the first one who's done it we may not like the tactics uh, all the time and I'm sitting before the people who are suffering the most because of the uh, strategy. Um, And I'll say, back to the gratitude thing in closing, I can't imagine another group group of people who would tolerate it the way people in agriculture do. Uh, You know, remarkably, uh, you're losing money. You're getting hurt. But I'm impressed with how many people say, but we get it. Uh, if I went to other sectors in America, I wouldn't expect that kind of uh, response. It would be me, me, me. So I, uh, I hate that we're punishing the people who are the most willing to look out for their neighbor and their country. Uh, but uh, in the end, I think this is going to work out. It's probably going to work out because the uh, Chinese uh, have met the first one who scares the hell out of them.
1: All right, we're about the end of our time, but, but I'm going to ask Ken one question. Um, you know, we're, uh, broadband is very important to Farm Bureau. It's an issue we've been concentrating on for a long time. If there's one thing we could do on the uh, state level and one thing that we could work for on the federal level, what should it be to help get broadband to, to the people out here, a lot of whom who do don't have it?
2: Well, yes, and thank you, Blake. And uh, speaking on behalf of the rural electric co-ops here in Missouri, Uh, We're very thankful for the support that Farm Bureau has uh, lent towards uh, furthering the ability of folks to do uh, business here in Missouri uh, safely uh, through easements and and whatnot. So your support's been very helpful. We need infrastructure. If we're going to have quality broadband, we have to have a fiber backbone. And I talked a little bit about that earlier. Our electric co-ops need to get involved, and some of them are, and some of them are hesitant, and, uh, and it's going to take some time. It's hard for these business cases to work. It's very difficult to serve rural America, but, but having a smart grid is building fiber out into an area and then maybe relying on other technologies to deliver the last mile. Today, we just need to get that fiber backbone built up. There are technologies that exist today that didn't exist eight years ago when Como built their fiber to the home network out. Uh, There's nothing better than fiber today, technically, but if we can't afford a business case to get fiber into every home, maybe we can get it out into nodes and then use some wireless. And we have the fiber for the backhaul. And that's really what people need is you need connection, you need fast speed back to these Internet hubs that exist all over the United States. So that was a long answer to a short request. Most of you are served by a rural electric co-op or a rural telephone co-op. You need to become active and involved. Get to know your board of directors. Let them know how important this is to the future of agriculture. On a federal level, it's gonna take some financial support from our government if we're ever gonna have have robust broadband out into the far reaches of rural America. It's just gonna have to happen. When they electrified rural America, There were low-interest loans made available to electric co-ops who were willing to step up, and those were formed by rural farmers coming together and saying, we want to form this co-op, we need electricity. Well, the co-ops exist today, so we don't have to create the co-op. What we need to do is make sure the co-op understands how important this is to its membership, and if they respond to the needs of their membership, I think we can get there. I think technology is improving but we can't
1: wait forever to get it done so all right chris real quick that's your question you sure all right thank you thank you all for your good attention we'll see you in about an hour at our annual banquet and again thanks to this fine panel